0: So uh, I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 8 this morning, Luke chapter 8. Now we we'll to read this passage and you're going to think, well that's just a little short historical narrative uh, in, in, in the life of Jesus. But here's the thing, it's inspired of God. The Holy Spirit moved and guided Luke to write these words down. There's great significance here. And we'll try to unfold that as we go through it. Will you hang in there? Okay, so we have notes online. If you haven't found them yet, you can use those uh, so you can meditate on this later. I want to read this. There was an incredible experience, a long chapter there in chapter 7. You see... uh, centurion 's uh, servant being healed. you see a widow 's son being raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus talking about John the Baptist and how awesome uh, he he was and um, then there was a scene toward the end of that chapter where Jesus is at a pharisee 's house, and uh, you know i don 't know whether it was a setup or not, but you know, it's obvious that the guy disrespected Jesus. He, You know, like this, this rabbi, I'm going to have him here and have him to, for dinner and all of that. And people would gather around, listen to him talk. Uh, there was this woman from the city, and she was a sinner. All right? We don't know what all it was, but we can imagine, right? She was uh, one of those, okay? Everybody knew it. But she saw how Jesus had been disrespected. She had heard Jesus' teaching, you know. She felt like, guess what? she could approach him. She felt like even though Jesus is sitting at a table with some important people who would shun her, she felt like Jesus was available and approachable. And she was so overcome. We don't get the whole story by his message of grace and love and acceptance that she came. And if you remember that story, that she came up and she had this expensive flask of ointment and she was behind him because they usually sat reclining with their feet sticking out. They didn't sit in chairs like we do. It's more like reclining the tables here and you're leaned up there, kind of propped up. And she came up behind and began, it says, to wet his feet with her tears. Now that was a customary thing that they always did is in those days, since you walked most places, they would wash your feet, and no, and, and, and no one had done that for Jesus. And, and he had been kind of disrespected by the people who had invited him. But she knew that. But something about the conversation, she was weeping uncontrollably. She had no water, but she used her tears. She used this ointment that was expensive, and she wiped it with the hair of her head. Now, there's a similar instance where this happens later, and it's uh, Mary Martha's sister, not Mary Magdalene, but the other Mary. Uh, it's a different Woman here, okay. This is a different situation. I know people would like to wonder about that. Now, this is a different situation, and uh, the Pharisee kind of tried to judge Jesus like, Well, he can't be much of a prophet if he knew what kind of woman that was, you know. Uh, he would be like, uh, And so, Jesus knows our thoughts, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He knew this, and he told this story about someone who owed a little bit of money and uh, the debt was forgiven, and somebody who owed a huge amount of money, and their debt was forgiven. Which one, he said, uh, will love more? He said, well, the one that canceled the larger debt, and he said, you judged rightly. He said, you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. See? See? That was a common thing, and he, Jesus, he didn't say anything, but till now, he calls him out. He said, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she ceased not to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. And that's something they did a lot back then. But she's anointed my feet with ointment. He said, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she's loved much. Uh, But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. That's how that chapter 7 ends. I would like, the story stops. God doesn't see fit to tell us. I would like to know what happened at that table after this. I'd like to know after Jesus left what the conversation was about. The truth is, we've all been forgiven a lot. You may not think so, but you have. We can look at people who've gotten all kinds of bondage and all kinds of mess. I'll tell you, it's just by the grace of God that I was born into the family that I was born into and in the community I was born into, the church family I was born into, and I still struggle quite a bit. What if I'd have been born in a situation of, of some other people? I might not have even done as well as they have. So I have a lot to thank God for. As bad as your situation is, none of it's perfect. You probably have something to thank God for. Uh, Now, but because of this, a lot of times, we don't realize how sinful we are. And this woman, not only did she realize it, but everybody made sure she knew it. And Jesus said, you're forgiven. And the point is, she realized how much she had been forgiven. That's why she loved so much. Maybe you've forgotten, and I've forgotten, how much he's forgiven us. You know, I was talking years ago with someone struggling with a terrible addiction. And, and this person began to cry and say, I wish I wasn't like this. I wish I wasn't such a sinner. And said, I'm just too much of a sinner. You know, God's... I said, you're no more of a sinner than I am. We have sinned differently, but we're sinners the same. In need of God's grace. Uh, he said, you know, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And then it just picks up. Now I'm ready to read it. Chapter 8, verse 1. So it just it's a little narrative here after that powerful story. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now, that's it. You might think, okay, so we know what Jesus was doing and where he went and who was with him. What's so significant about that? Well, I want to tell you From this whole passage, we find out what real significance is. Now, to be significant means to be very valuable, very important, very impactful. We have every bit of that right here. Uh, So the thing is, is that everyone really needs, one of the biggest, one of the deepest needs that any of us have is that need that we have uh, not just to feel significant, but to truly be significant valuable we all need that now sometimes we'll make people feel that way like oh aren't you so and I'm just you know you may just be you may not really value them but to know your value to know that not only you feel it but it's true because I'll tell you a lot of us feel very insignificant I struggle with this okay So um, the Holy Spirit's all over me, stomping on my toes, convicting me uh, to just uh, accept God's truth. Isn't that something? A lot of times, why is it we would rather believe the devil's lies than God's truth? God's truth is so much better. It's so much more powerful. Uh, Maybe it's this. It just seems too good to be true. And the Spirit's answer to that is, you have no idea. It is off the charts good, but it's still true. I don't deserve this. Well, that's what makes it so impactful and significant. That's what grace is, folks. That's what grace does. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know how to act. I don't know how many times... I might would be acting up and I would be reminded that when I was a boy, we don't act like that. You know, it may be clinically incorrect to use the word savages still. I don't know that or not, but I was accused of being like, we're not raising a bunch of savages, uh, wild people, you know, like that. Um, Don't you know who you are? Uh, your 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 name your family name right you 'd be okay well that 's the thing about it is, but now that we 're in Christ, we have his name and I, and I and you realize your significance and your value, and you want to live up to that name it 's a desire he puts in us, but according to the Bible. God created you. Now, here's the truth. Here's, I'm just going to throw a truth out here from Scripture. I don't care who you think you are or wh- how insignificant you think you are. The Bible, it says that everybody, every person God created, he created them with incredible value, and it's very significant to God. In fact, right there in Genesis, in the creation story, it says in Genesis 1.27, so God created man, that's humans, in his own image, different from all the rest of creation. We're different than all the animals and everything else. God created mankind in his own image. That's mind, will, and emotion. In the image of God, he created him. How did God create humans? In the image of himself. And secondly, male and female, he created them. Now, all these centuries, all these thousands of years later, God knew that in our day we really need to hear this. How did God create humans in his image and male and female and biologically, scientifically, emotionally, and so many ways we are we ready for this? Are different? We have different parts. We've got different chemicals, hormones that affect our brains. I heard Gary Smalley, Doctor Smalley, talk about that, and you know, as a baby is forming in in the mom's uterus, and and for the little the little boys uh, because they're made different and have different some different you know, glands and parts that uh, this chemical begins to be released at a certain point during that development. is called testosterone. And basically what testosterone does is brain damage. And all the little boys are born brain damage. We, we tend to be more left brain. That's, that's one thing that he talked about. You know, our, our minds work differently. God created you this way. and This is why all human life is significant. Are you with me? It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they are, what language they speak, what color is their skin, what are their religions, what are their customs. It doesn't matter whether they're unborn or born. Human life is sacred and significant to God Almighty. That's why this is such a big issue. It's such a big issue how we treat people. Even Jesus tells us our enemies, because At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how big of a heathen somebody is, they're still made in the image of God, and it's someone that God will save if they'll come to him. So I could go a whole nother sermon right there, but not just that, but the only way you and I are ever going to find our real significance, and I see people doing all kinds of things, I mean all kinds of things to themselves, trying all kinds of things and ridiculous stuff in a search for significance. And it's like, somebody notice me, please. They do ridiculous things. Some of the, the, the trends we see happening with gender dysphoria and things like that, I, I have a feeling for many people, it's a cry for significance. I, I need to find an identity. Because they feel like a nobody. You're never really going to find your identity. You're never going to find your true significance until you find it in the one who created you and in the one who saves you. In Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul puts it in one of my favorite passages in Ephesians 3, in verse 19. Because he's talking about that desire to know him. To know him. If you're never going to know yourself till you know him. To know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. You can't, you know, big brother-in-law can't quite get your arms around it, even though you love it. You know, big fat brother-in-law. You you love him, but you just can't quite get your arms around him. That's the way this is another. I know I use that to death, uh, but I just may, I just I'm not I've not got any particular brother-in-law in mind. Wait a minute, I do. No, uh, you love him, but it's just too much. It surpasses knowledge. You get it? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let that sink in. I'm telling you, there is. A little phrase in the Bible that causes me to just go, aw. I'm in awe. Because I go as far as my mind can go and then I'm like, aw. Awesome. Full filled. Okay, so if that glass can take any more in it, is it full? No. It means it's to the point of overflowing. Filled with what? Not just God, but all of God. The fullness of God. If I'm filled with all the fullness of God, I can't contain myself. Okay, wow. Isn't that deep? That you could be filled with all the fullness. You talk about significance. Mm. All right, let's get on with the message here. Here's the thing that i found. So much of our life we feel like it's boring, right? I learned when I was a kid not to sit around the house and complain and tell mom I'm bored. Somehow or another, (laughs) that always went in a bad direction, especially when you grow up on a dairy farm. Huh? Yeah, that's and, and then with the ice storm and the mud, these, these are still yet, after all these years, I'm still like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not still on dairy farms, not still milking cows. Anyway, uh, the, the, here's, here's, the, here's the, 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 the whole point is that if you feel like your life is insignificant, you feel like your life is boring, you feel like I can't do much, I don't, here's, here's what you need to know. Little things become big things when Christ is at the center of it. Little things become big things when Christ is at this. Little as much we used to sing this old song little as much if God is in it uh, so it 's the behind the scenes stuff that he uses the most it 's kind of like the stage performances you know uh, um, on Broadway or even the the movies in, in hollywood there 's more action actually going on behind the scenes than there is. Uh, in front of the camera, right? So we, we, we can only imagine here the reactions and the repercussions after what happened in that previous chapter, that story I was telling you about. Uh, and as I said, the Bible chooses not to tell us, but um, Luke gives a quick summary of what Jesus does next. And it's very to the point. It seems very si- simple, but it's also very, very significant. Everything Jesus does and everything he touches is significant. You are. So here's the question. <laughs> Again. Are you available? And will you trust him? So let's look at this. Let's unfold this really quick. Okay. And let's see. Where he goes is significant. Where Jesus goes is significant. It tells us just simply where he went. Soon afterward. After all this. He went through the cities and villages. He makes personal appearances. In all these surrounding places. Villages and towns. Now. Now. Here's the thing that stands out to me. Uh, There's two words used here. One is for large cities. It could even be like a walled city state. Those cities. And then villages is just a word that means a small spot in the road. It could be a small town. It uh, It could be Hartville or Mansfield or Seymour. Uh, now, to us, like, you know, Lebanon, even, you know, Marshfield, especially Springfield, that, that, that's a city. Uh, this, we're in a town. Or it could even be Odin. Huh? It could be Curtis Ben Davis or Rayburn. You see what I'm saying? That's the kind of word is used here. So what is it? It means this, that his, his, it seems like the small towns get the same care and attention from him that the large cities get. Because he's going to both. Both are important to Jesus. Um, It could be just some little spot in the road. But folks, everyone and everywhere is important equally to our Lord. All are equally significant. And I don't know how often I hear that. You're in that small town there. Um, You know, it's been a couple of times... Not lately, but it's been a couple of times through the years that someone has called. And in one case in, in particular, there was a troubled church in a big city that they were trying to find someone to go and, and try to help turn that thing around. Um, that was quite a few years ago, and it didn't get turned around. It's gone. But uh, I never felt led to go there. But one of the other guys that uh, was involved in this asked me, you're going to get you're going to get riled up now when I tell you this, because they said, are you really going to stay in that little one-horse town forever? We've got more than one horse, by the way. Okay? And, you know, well, you still have to watch out for people dipping their hat in a horse trough, though. Right? No, anyway. And uh, I said, you know, if this is where God wants me, that's what I, I need to do, right? right? We're not supposed to make career moves like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I understood, you know, it was was said kind of in fun. But uh, that's what the Lord wanted to show me. What I'm doing there is just as important as anywhere else. You're successful if you just obey me, God says, and trust me. So I found something, though. There's something I've never been able to get out of my heart and mind and I want to share it again because I've shared it many times with you. You'll remember it once I get going and I and you say well you've said that before. Well, obviously I need to say it again because we're not getting this, right? We just that's that's a thing. All right, so here's what I find when I go in scripture that oftentimes when God gets ready to do something really significant and big, he picks people that seem insignificant. Mhm. Uh-huh and uses people and places that no one else would have thought of. The most unlikely. That's us! (laughs) That's me! (laughs) I mean, you know, even Moses, as great as he was, you know, at the time God called him, he's on the backside of the wilderness, watching the sheep for his father-in-law. I'm sure that was great. And and, and was like a fugitive accused, you know, and actually guilty of murder. David's a little shepherd boy out watching the sheep and when Samuel was sent by God there and dropped a bomb on them that hey, God sent me here to anoint one of your sons no one even thought to call him all the big boys came no one thought it could even even bother right? God gets ready to do amazing things he chooses sometimes pretty unamazing sources right? so that way when it happens we know who gets the glory, the credit for it it's him Jesus gets ready to feed this multitude of thousands, 5,000, but with women and children, which weren't numbered, it could have been 10, 15,000. He could have called manna down from heaven, like in the old days. He could have done anything he wanted to. He could have been like, poof, Golden Corral, right there. All the old people would have gone. I'm sorry. I don't know, that's just one of my things. If you can't walk, if you've got a walker, if you can't walk and you're going to go place where so you got to get your own food and carry it, maybe you should go to a restaurant where they bring your food to you. I just just something I've noticed. It's just, it's tough. I, I was at Golden Corral one time. It reminded me of that scene in the Bible where where uh, you know the guy was laying by the pool there, and you know Jesus asked him, "Do you want to be healed?" And He said, "Well, you know, when the waters are stirred, there's this re- legend that you know that whoever gets in there first and 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 and, and uh, somebody always gets in there before me." Can you imagine how horrible that scene would have been? That all these crippled and lame people, and if the waters happen to bubble, they're all like dragging themselves and limping and trying to get in there. I I was at Golden Corral one time, and it was almost like that. It was like, you know, but but, but it's all about the discount. I've got off track here. I'm sorry. This is one of those things. Jesus could have created whatever he wanted to to feed that multitude. But what did he do? He found uh, not a man, a little boy, a lad. And he didn't have anything but a little basket lunch with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. If the little boy had tried to feed everybody, he wouldn't have gotten very far. If I'd have been that little boy, I'd have been hiding behind a bush, eating my lunch, and staying away from all the hungry people. (laughs) Jesus would have never taken it away from him, but he asked for it. And when he was available to be used, he put it in Jesus' hands. In the little boy's hands, it couldn't do much. But that little basket in Jesus' hands fed everyone, and there was leftovers. Twelve baskets full. He did it that way. So even though I may not seem like much, and, and the whole thing was out of that big crowd, they noticed that boy. You might think, nobody notices me. God notices you. And you know what? You're just doing everyday normal stuff, maybe boring stuff. And you're like, I get home from work, I eat supper, I'm tired. It's time to get up and go do it again before you know it. And it just goes on and on. It's boring. It's boring. But in the middle of that boring life is significance because right there is where God does more work than you can ever imagine. And you never know what God all is doing that you can't even see. And you never know at a moment when he's going to call you up into something huge, just like this little boy. God chooses uh, those whom the world views as insignificant to do incredibly, incredibly significant things. The question is: Are we once again what available? What Jesus or where he goes is significant. And then, secondly, in this story, um, what he does is significant. You see what he does. It says he is preaching, proclaiming, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, the word for proclaim or preach here is a Greek word, caruso. And it literally means to be a herald. So he's proclaiming things. And he's carrying a message. Uh, carrying news, you might say. And they didn't have TV or newspapers back in those days, right? Um, they didn't even have loudspeakers where they could broadcast things. They, they didn't have internet or social media. I wonder what the teenagers did with their thumbs back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. When the guy who was in charge, the governor, the king, whatever had an announcement he wanted to get out, they would find someone who had like a really loud mouth and could talk loud all day long. And Hmm. Anyway, that person could have a job making a living just going up and down the streets and shouting out the news or the announcement. Uh, and that's how they got the word out. And Before a king would arrive in the city, many times someone would go and they would be broadcasting this up and down the street so they would be ready. That's the word that, Jesus, that, that Luke uses here. That Jesus is walking about the little area of Galilee, big towns and small spots in the road, and he's announcing something. And then it says, hey, bringing the good news of the kingdom. Actually, did you know that bringing the good news is all one word in the original language of the Bible that's translated into English, in the Greek. That's one word. It's the word euangelizo, all right? We get the word evangelize. It's a compound word, eu, which means good, and angelos, which means message or angel. Good message, good news. That's what the word evangelize means. That's what the word gospel is, good news. So it means to proclaim good news. So Jesus is preaching and proclaiming good news about what? Well, it wasn't politics. It wasn't anything about Caesar or Rome. It wasn't even about the economy. It was about what? The kingdom of God. That's what it was about. Now, some people will say, what's the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? You know what? I've even heard some probably preachers. huh can be ridiculous, some of them, can't they? You don't know how to answer. <laughs> some of you do. Argue about this. Well, they're used interchangeably. I'll just settle that one for you for, for trivia night, okay? It's, it's really used, they mean the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is used only by Matthew kingdom of heaven. Matthew's the only one that uses that phrase. He does it like 32 times. Only five times does Matthew use the phrase kingdom of God. Uh, The reason is Matthew was Jewish and Matthew was primarily writing to Jews. The use of any word for God was so sacred that they hardly used it. Our guide on the trip to Israel, uh, who was Jewish and he spoke Hebrew, reminded us of that. That that um, like Yahweh or Jehovah, which is from the abbreviated uh, personal name of God, covenant name, uh, they would never use that. But even Elohim or Adonai, uh, they 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 would be careful about even using any of the names for God because it was so sacred and so it was more acceptable for them to say Kingdom of Heaven, which is where God is is than to say kingdom of God so many times you see that influence in Matthew's writing well Luke was a Gentile and he uses kingdom of God by the way Matthew actually uses them interchangeably this is how I prove to you kingdom of God kingdom of heaven if you've been distracted by that don't be anymore because Matthew in Matthew 19 23 records where Jesus said to his disciples truly I say to you only with difficulty will rich person enter the kingdom of heaven see kingdom of heaven Next verse, he says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he uses them interchangeably there, right? So what's the kingdom of heaven? What's the kingdom of God all about? What is this? Uh, What is it all about? It is about this. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished in verse 25, saying, Who then can be saved? They knew this whole thing of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, had to do with being saved, being saved from destruction, being saved from our sins, being saved from ourselves, being saved from our enemies. They knew it had to do with salvation. All right, so the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what is it? It's that realm of salvation where God rules as sovereign. You're in his kingdom. When you get saved, the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus even mentioned at one point you're part of his, his heavenly, you're part of his spiritual kingdom. He is your king, he is your Lord. You're connected with others who are part of that. So, this is where God rules as sovereign. And so this was Jesus' message. Watch this, folks. Jesus' message was not a political message. It wasn't a social message. It is a salvation message. That's significant, all right? Now, not only what he said was significant, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, but who is with him is also significant. It tells us here that the 12 were with him. And that's powerful because they are there getting step-by-step on-the-job training as they're watching Jesus do stuff, and then Jesus is showing them how to do stuff, how to minister to people, even going out and and sharing good news of the kingdom, right? Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And, And this is the way Jesus taught us to do it is that, and I always say this around here, if there's anything that it seems like God is using you to do in this community of believers, in this community, whatever, uh, and it's going well, you should have someone else that you're showing what you've learned, and, and we're multiplying, we're discipling, we're mentoring each other. Too many churches, you'll have different things going on, you'll have a person like, that's my thing, and if you go try, you know, it's just, it's just it becomes something weird, right? Uh, but it's ministry, right? It's all about ministry. It's about helping others. And everything that's going on here, we need someone else stepping up because you're not going to be there forever. I'm not going to be for, here forever. We need to be mentoring. And, and, and Jesus was giving that to the disciples, and they're going to do that later. And, and that should continue on down to our day. And it goes just even down to basic daily habits and growing in a Christian life that we're connected to others uh, who are further ahead than us. See, this is discipleship. You might say, well, listen, I don't know enough, and I'm not strong enough of a Christian to help disciple someone else who's been saved. I want to tell you, you can always find someone who knows less than you do and is in tougher shape than what you are, is behind you. There's someone you can help. You don't know everything, but you've learned some things that you can impact. And then there's always someone who's been down the road a little further than you. And see, this is all of us. I need people who are still helping me grow as a disciple, and then I need to be discipling others as I grow, right? Both things are happening. Okay, that's another message too. But it's significant who is with him. It's significant who we're with, okay? And it's also significant who assisted him. It points out here, it calls out, and it said, and also some women, now, some have been healed of evil spirits, like Mary Magdalene, and in some have infirmities. It's quite a mixture here. Now, it's not crucial to the following here. We're about done, if that helps. Um, it's not crucial to the whole story that they get mentioned here. You know, I mean, why do you have to throw that detail in, Luke? Well, evidently, the Holy Spirit thought this was significant. There's our word. I keep saying it, don't I? It's significant. And we don't need to skim over it. And here's what you need to know. It's bigger probably than you realize. Because in this century... Okay, let me back up. In this millennial millennium... Mill, millennium. And in that century... Because we're talking a couple thousand years ago, right? This was... And so the first people reading Luke's gospel... This was so in your face. Because in those days... And in that culture, uh, the religious and cultural world of that day, Jewish, Roman, Greek, women were not allowed to occupy prominent places. The rabbis did not waste time teaching women. What about the Roman or Greek world? Socrates and Aristotle both disdained teaching women. To be seen socially, think about this. With that being the case, to be seen socially teaching and honoring a group of women would be off the charts radical. And that's what Jesus did. We don't realize how big that was, folks, and how much some of them hated it. Jesus was in a culture that oppressed. The men dominated women and mistreated them. A woman couldn't even be a witness In a court of law. That's part of their culture. Significant then that the very first witnesses to the resurrection was who? Women. If you were making up this story in that day or even 100 years later, you wouldn't have made it up like that because it would have been unbelievable. You didn't do stuff like that. But that's the way it happened. Jesus sets things straight. Jesus is the one that honored women. As we said, male and female, we have different, uh, uh, sometimes, abilities, roles, equally valuable always in God's eyes. Unlike people of our days, though, we don't find the folks then uh, kind of accusing Jesus of something funny going on. You never find that. You have a group of women who are, who are there with them, traveling with them, but nobody's accusing of funny business. I'm sorry that in the day that we live in that we have such perverts out there they are always trying to make something weird going on between Jesus and some of these women or Jesus and Mary Magdalene. But guess what? That's what perverts do is they pervert things. That probably wasn't a very couth way to say that, but sometimes I am uncouth. These women dedicated their lives to helping. Did you get that? Jesus used them in a very crucial part of his ministry. And Luke is letting us know that without their help, it would not have been possible for Jesus and the 12 to even travel from place to place and spread the message and do what they did. Without them there, this couldn't have happened. Very crucial. And they're named. Look, um, Mary Magdalene uh, is mentioned. And, And by the way, her name simply means she came from Magdala. Now, years ago, they used to debate. I read some old commentaries. They were debating on this. You know, we don't know about that town. All that. Well, guess what? We live in a day where there's been all kinds of discoveries, archaeologically and and, and literary and all of that. We found older copies of the Scripture than ever existed and see that God's Word has not changed. And archaeologists, so some years back, they began to try to build a Catholic church there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they uncovered some stuff as they were excavating. And we got to visit that place, didn't we? And it's not far from Capernaum, and they uncovered the town, the village of Magdala. And you know what? You You can actually Actually go there. Uh, that's when we were there that you helped us go do this. This was amazing uh, going in there uh, to this place. And even when you're there, they have uncovered the foundations of so many of the homes and businesses and even the synagogue that was there that Jesus probably visited. And I was so amazed to look at this. Look at this. Do you see that? That now back behind, that's part of that big Catholic church that was built there. And you can go in there. We had a little service in a room. Y'all remember that? And, and also they were having something going on in the main room, which is, which is right through those glass doors, and, and I got shushed in there. Can you believe that? Evidently, I was talking too loud, and, and somebody in our group shushed me. It happens everywhere I go. Um, but um, So you can see that little square, and people would sit around there, and someone would be reading the scriptures. and uh, So this is actually in that town that we found now, and that's where Mary was from. It's pretty amazing. The Bible says, and it's right there on the shore, right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible says she had been possessed by seven demons. And, you know, seven literal demons or the seven mean this is just like a lot of them. Uh, well, anyway, Jesus set her free. Amen. We don't know what kind of sinful, crazy stuff she was into, but the big thing was she was possessed. She had gotten into some crazy stuff there that led to that. Um, there is 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 actually no record that says that she had been a prostitute. Uh, people say that assume that sometimes they assume she's that woman in chapter seven. But I think if she was, Luke would have said so, right? So probably not. Um, so anyway, um, she never stopped following Jesus. He set her free and she never stopped learning. She never stopped giving. She never stopped helping. She never stopped serving. She followed all the way to the cross. Her and a group of these women did not run and hide. They stayed at the cross. They watched Jesus die and they were there to help anoint his body before they put it in the tomb. And they were the first ones back there at the grave at the tomb on Sunday morning. She never quit following him. And there's good evidence that she's probably one of the women that were with the disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And, and, and I'd like to know more of what, what happened with her. Where'd she go? Uh, the Bible chooses not to tell us. Maybe one of these days we'll sit down in the eternal, literal kingdom of heaven and talk to her about it. Huh? How about that? So she's a nobody that Jesus made into a somebody. And all these thousands of years later, we're still reading about it. Amen? Then, then there was, back to the story, Joanna. And Joanna, it says, was the wife of Cusa. He was K- King Herod's steward. They, he was like an administrative assistant to Herod. And, and maybe she, I don't know whether she was possessed or one that just had a disease. But, uh, so we have Mary, who has a dark past. You have Joanna, who probably had a very privileged past, working together. Folks, this is what our Jesus does. He transforms the low-down and demonized into stable, respectable people. He transforms the highfalutin and self-righteous into humble, generous servants. He brings people from opposite ends of the spectrum and helps them work together as teammates that the world would never put them together and never know how they could work together. He crosses social barriers. He crushes racial barriers, cultural barriers barriers, generational barriers, old and young, and even, get this, political barriers, and brings people together. He breaks down that dividing wall, Paul said in Ephesians. You just think about in that day, Jew and Gentile becoming one and fellowshipping and working and serving in the local ecclesias, the local churches. That was powerful. They'd been taught to avoid each other. But you see that God removed that barrier that's what he does for us today. And if the world's ever going to see it, they ought to be seeing it here. They see it here. How you guys do that? How do you have people that out there, we would never think they would even notice each other or speak to each other. But here they are, worshiping God together, praying together, serving together, helping each other, helping each other grow. Oh, it's just amazing. This is what God does. And then there's Susanna. Only time she's mentioned. Don't know anything else about her. But I know this. Her name's recorded in the Bible. That's significant. And then it says, and others. Some of them didn't get their names written down. They're unnamed. Well, actually, they are named. They're named others. Right? They're equally important. It's part of that behind the scene crowd. God knows every name. See? It's that behind-the-scenes crowd that God uses to actually get things done. And people don't know their names. And they don't necessarily get a pat on the back. It's not their goal to get their names known. It's their goal to be part of the kingdom of God. And I just want to say most of the work that gets done here is most of you will never know who does it. It's not me, I can tell you that. If it's all rested on me, it would be pretty pathetic. But most all the work gets done behind the scenes. And what did they do? They provided. They, it says they ministered. They provided. The, the Greek word is diakonero. Uh, and, and we get the word deacon actually from that. But the root word means to be a servant, to serve, to minister. They were taking care of things so Jesus could devote time to proclaiming the word and doing what he needed to do. Uh, as I said, it means to take care of needs, and the imperfect tense is used here in the Greek, which suggests continuous action. They never stopped doing this, and they were carrying, carrying con- and serving continually for the everyday needs and 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 for the everyday stuff and the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, So the gospel could go forward. Luke informs us that they did this out of their own substance. That is, out of their own private resources. So you see, it involves sacrifice. Every one of these, they weren't now just following Jesus just because what they could get from Jesus. They were giving and sacrificing because they loved him so much and because of who he is. They kept the ministry rolling, folks. And they weren't expecting anything in return. They were just overwhelmed by his extravagant grace. And they couldn't stop giving and following. All right, let's wrap it up. I just got to say this. We've got some great men here in our church. And a lot of the great men are the men who are are serving and doing things, and and you may not even know about it. Some of the least may be the ones like me that are up front and, you know. But I I want you to know who really keeps things going around here. It's not the great men. It's the women. You can say amen. Because it is true. It's our women that keep things going and keep things moving. You It was that way when I was a kid in my home church. And I talked to my granny about it one time, my great grandma. And she said that in the old days, they didn't have preaching every Sunday. The preacher would come around every once a month or so. And and there was nowhere else to go out there on the farms. People would come, they have dinner on the ground, all that stuff. People would bring stuff. It was a great time to see people. But the problem is, a lot of the men would sit outside under the shade trees and chew tobacco and spit and whittle and you know. And I, I can remember as a kid visiting people with our pastor and visiting this old guy, and he said, "All right, church that's for women and kids." And I was a smart aleck young guy, and I thought about saying, "Honry old men die and go to hell too," but I didn't say that. Women's for church. Church church is for women and kids. Come on. But every now and then, the preachers would get to preaching and they'd hear out there and you'd see one of those guys throw down his whittling knife and come crying into the building and up to the altar to pray. But the women made things happen. I could see that as a kid. Uh, And so it's so crucial. All of our roles, every one of us is significant. So here's what I want to say in closing. We have an opportunity here in a small place A small town to make a big difference that you never know, our pebble drops, it could ripple throughout the whole world. I'm just saying, if we just worship God and serve Him like we should, we're available. So if God wants to do something that's earth-shattering, we're available, and He can do it through us because we're just as significant as anybody. We're a small congregation in a small town. We've got a lot of good churches around here. But I'm just saying, you right here are the kind of people that God is very likely to use to turn the world upside down. And because of the giving that you do here, we support God's work all over this planet. There are missionaries that we're keeping on the field because of your prayers and your gifts through this place Right there in that box back there that you drop off or that you sent in that's going all over the world. The sun never sets on it. The witness of the gospel that's coming out from... I'm glad to be a part of something like that, y'all. To make an impact in this community, this state, this nation. So I want you to know what we do is significant. What we do is significant. Everyone is significant in the Lord's Word. You are blessed... To be a blessing. Your prayers are significant. God is working in and through your prayers in ways that you don't even understand. He burdens you to pray. He answers your prayer. Sometimes you get to see the answer. Sometimes you don't. Or sometimes He shows you how you can be part of the answer. Are you a river of blessing or are you just a reservoir of religion? So here's the thing, let's go out there, let's be available and let's go out there from this place and realize everywhere we go and whatever we do is significant if Christ is the center of it. Father, I thank you again for allowing that opportunity to worship.